My favorite thing was that Ben Schott said this. Uh, he he was moaning on Twitter this week in the aftermath of this this article, which was headlined "Give Amazon and Facebook a Seat at the United Nations." And he was moaning on Twitter about how you know he wished people would remember that you know journalists and columnists rarely write their own headlines, mm-hmm. which is of course true. But Ben Schott is literally calling for like Apple and Amazon to be members of the United Nations. I don't understand what I love like, that he he argues about. for that even after. Um... Uh, Francis Hagen or Haugen, the uh, whistleblower, kind of revealed her information over the past couple of days and how horrifying the practices within Facebook are. And here we have someone advocating for them to have a seat at mm-hmm. on the same <laughs> at week. that ta- at that table. So that's at that's great. Week. That's great. Let's identify you know these processes that have brought corporate power on scale with the state as Ben Shot is doing in this article. Um, but then let's, let, let's embrace it. Let's, let's accelerate that process towards, you know, it's, it's logical conclusion. The whole concept of making Facebook a nation state to me is just terrifying. So, right. Right. And, and I think probably where we're headed anyway, civilizationally. And so to see it pop up, you know, in the mouth of, Someone who whose life is as stakeless and as um, meaningless as the advertising and brands columnist for Bloomberg. Oh ben yeah, Schott. yeah. Like, think about oh, think about the type of person who holds those titles. Think about who you must be to be the <laughs> advertising and brands columnist. There's a subheading. The penultimate subheading in this column, I shit you not, is called Lebrandsrom as as a as as a play on words with the right-wing German notion of Lebensraum, which means living space, which was notably the ideology that led to genocide in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Lebrandsrom. These people there is nothing that means anything in these people's lives. No. Nothing. There are no stakes, and they're just pissing down on us. So Ben Schott, Bloomberg's opinions, um, advertising and brands columnist, admitted that civilization should take the brakes off its long slide into neo-feudalism by just letting Amazon and Apple into, into the United Nations. And this is one of these columns that's almost satire, right? And yet I can see a near future where like a key difference between a progressive and a liberal uh, is that the former thinks Amazon and Apple should be in the United Nations, while a liberal wants every top 10 multinational to have a permanent seat on the UN Security Council. So the article quotes uh, here, 
Take the current global uh, chip crisis. Nowadays, the ever-increasing tracks of the world economy rely on the pure wafer uh, foundry market, of which 55% is controlled by the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. Not only does the TSMC pick which businesses get the chips they need and which countries get its new fab factories, the company's leadership has warned nation-states against competitive onshoring and advised advise China not to invade. The shot goes on quoting now from the TSMC's chairman. As to an invasion by China, Mark Liu said, let me tell you, everyone wants to have a peaceful Taiwan Strait because it's to every country's benefit, but also because the semiconductor supply chain in Taiwan, no one wants to disrupt it. Shot continues, if this all sounds a tad whimsical, uh, comparing gadflies to Goliaths, it may be because of the cultural dominance of the Westphalian system under which the global balance of power has been envisioned since 1648 as a mosaic of centrally controlled and culturally unified nation states, each wielding a monopoly of force inside mutually recognized borders. And he did, in fact, just say that the potential for the Taiwan Strait to become the site of a hot conflict with mainland China was a tad whimsical. Is that like I like I honestly like I can't tell if that's an intentional joke here. Is he being flip? I don't. So what Shot is evoking here, the Westphalian system, is a reference to the Peace of Westphalia, which ended the Thirty Years' War and which established a system of state power, which essentially didn't get rearranged until after the Second World War, right? And largely the world order that exists today is the one that, you know, was founded on the, you know, Westphalian system to this, you know, it it was not a meaningful departure. It was a redefinition. And what, what, you know, what it is at its most basic level is just the idea that the, the world is comprised of states, which are legitimate and, you know, control the interests and resources and peoples, you know, within their borders. Right. And, and this Mm -hmm. is something we kind of take for granted. Right. Right. But you in 1648, you don't have uh, a world of nation states the way that we have now. Right. And it's sort of because of this system that you end up uh, with the world that does have, you know, a a divided interest between competing realist uh, nation states and their interests. But. And so when we talk about, you know, neo-feudalism, we really are talking about sort of the the disassembling of. Of, of the Westphalian peace and and a return to a a messier definition of of official and authoritative power. It's fascinating to me because you know we have people here advocating for putting these private entities on the table, and you know they would be in the circumstances the only nation states in quotation marks that quite literally transcend political boundaries and borders and all of that. Right. So immediately you can make an argument that those said new nation states become more powerful, like than other ones on the table, like in, in those circumstances, you know, because they, they don't have to abide by boundaries. They don't, they're, they're confined to the planet, and that's about it. Right. And, and in the article, Schott goes as far as to, um, you know, point out 
this, um, you know, that many multinational corporate interests are larger and more powerful than lots of states, right? And and I think that what it's easy to imagine, you know, is is, is a, a near future where you know it is Malaysia brought to you by Amazon, right? You know, and that you that in, that you end up with states that end up within the almost imperial portfolios of these multinationals, right? You know, the Papua New Guinea sponsored by ExxonMobil, right? That these would be sort of... The, the American debt ceiling sponsored by Amazon. <laughs> well, if only. Um, but but yeah. And so that's uh, so that that's the, the, the sort of... The thing that Ben Schott is playfully, whimsically even uh, toying with here, right? Is, is the... Is is that right? And I think that you would have to, <clears throat> you know, be the most obtuse and naive, you know, type of person to just sort of bandy this about in the way that that Ben Shot is doing here. So Shot continues: external defense and internal assistance have historically been the province of developed nation states. Earthquakes, outbreaks, hurricanes, heat waves, floods, fires, insurrections. And invasions demand a scale of command and control typically available uh, only to state military and civil agencies. COVID-19 tested this truism, even in the most advanced nations, both because of the pandemic's unprecedented global impact and because the highly specialized responses it required could only be provided expediously by brands. And lest we forget, the flag of McDonald's Corp still flutters proudly over Gitmo. The Obama playbook, as he continues here, uh, of a branded content second act beyond books and speeches will inevitably attract a new cohort of youthful former statesmen keen to wield soft power and earn small fortunes, unfettered by orthodox gatekeepers. On quitting the royal family, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle lost no time in establishing their own indie shop, Archwell Productions inking copycat deals with Netflix and Spotify and collaborating on an Apple TV series uh, with the brand powerhouse Oprah Winfrey. There's a veritable pipeline right now, you know, of, of not just, um, you know, legislators to lobbyists, right. But, but heads of state now, you know, planning their after It's a big club and we ain't in it. Right. And and you know, if you're if you're Barack Obama, right, you know, and you wanna you know, you wanna be a socialite, you know, you wanna wanna ink book deals and, and rub shoulders with all these people, um, you know, after you become president, well, then you might set the same policy agendas that the Obama administration set and have a similar set of motives and desires about, you know, what you're willing to do for, for the public. To return to our play on words with Lebensraum, the German right-wing notion of living space in Eastern Europe, I suppose that that may very well have been written by um, by an editor, right? Like that subheading could could have been put in there by an editor, but but that that's assuming the that's the only thing that you think is wrong with this article is is that. <laughs> Is is that? But anyway, so shot continues here. Uh, as the world's flood, as the earth floods, burns, chokes, and shakes, so Atlas shrugs. 
and the world's richest brand leaders set a course for Planet B as a place to dump heavy industry, lure tourists, and escape the thin air of tax and regulation. He continues, the United Nations currently grants uh, observer status to some 120 intergovernmental organizations and specialized uh, agencies from the Sovereign Order of Malta to the International uh, Seabed Authority. Doubtless, these bodies do admirable work, but is the Parliamentary Assembly of the Mediterranean vastly more vital to global democracy than Twitter Incorporated? Or the International Telecommunication Union, more unifying of international telecoms than Google? And if such brands might be granted observer status, why not full membership? That's right that's the kicker thanks man thanks well and and it's and it's like it's a it's a complete like accept like an uncritical acceptance of of the ngo thing right it's like the argument is there to be made that um you know your human rights ngos humanitarian ngos um and these these structures right are the intermediaries between us and the future that we've kind of and, and that ben shot is describing clearly they are right that that on your way to a to neo feudalism, right? You have these non government entities that begin to exercise power in international structures, right? Like I, I accept that. That's a critique of NGOism, which is a, a term that that we use on the left to sort of describe um, what's happened to neoliberalism since the 1970s. Is this this tide of NGOism has, as Shot points out here, brought lots of non governmental organizations. Yeah. Um, to to exercise significant and meaningful power uh, within the halls of of our international structures. Um, of course, this also serves as a a check on the types of change that we can we can we can see because the the these not NGOs what they do is they they make sure that all of the humanitarian and human rights related uh, efforts are all channeled through capital donations to these institutions, right? And so it so yeah. the the mouthpiece, the fulcrum for human rights and humanitarian progress becomes these um essentially charitable non-governmental organizations which are mm-hmm. appendages of capital, right? Which yeah. you know, and 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 there's plenty of adages about the difference between, you know, charity and 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 change and and revolution, right? And and right. that charity right. usually tends to be um, carried out by the people who are profiting from the very misery that charity seeks to alleviate. It's fun to talk about neo-feudalism as we are a mere 17 days away from the release of the neo-feudalistic, that's a word, science fiction epic. Also, if you're if we're looking for sci-fi to read related to the, the things that we've been talking about in the first part of this episode, um, I would really recommend the Mars Trilogy as well. Um, they uh, It's a Hugo Award-winning a uh, series from the early 90s. And for our listeners, we will be covering and reviewing um, Dune here in a couple of weeks before it comes out, or when it comes yeah, out, sorry. We're definitely going to sort of talk about it um, and, and react to it a little bit. Um, the, Red Mar- or the, the Mars Trilogy is by Kim Stanley Robinson, right? Uh, the three books in it, and, and it's it's a really nice imagining of these exact processes projected precisely where Ben Schott is talking about them, right? When Schott is sort of gesturing at, at, at SpaceX and these aspirational projects of capital right now, 
um, this is that's a series that really explores both that and the processes of transnational corporate power and their usurpation of, of the state and international organizations and institutions. going to do here in this part of the episode is address Havana syndrome. And we've got um, a little bit about sort of what we've been reading this week um, in relation to Havana syndrome. We're going to sort of overview that and then we're going to move into some discussion, right? We're going to sort of debate the, the sort of theoretical and practical possibility of the technology that is allegedly related to the Havana syndrome. Um, and then we're going to, you know, we're going to kind of talk about, uh, you know, the the implications of it beyond just uh, what's been written about it so far. For those of you guys that haven't heard of this subject before, we should start off with a little bit of background. I want to sort of preface the storyline uh, with a very recent article that was published on September 28th by, uh, by the Wall Street Journal. So the journal reports that at some point within the past several weeks, the CIA, God bless them, evacuated an intelligence officer who had been operating in Serbia. He had experienced injuries and symptoms heavily associated with this so-called Havana syndrome. His poor soul, getting attacked by unseen forces while conducting espionage for the American Empire. Uh, But let's dive more into what the Savannah Syndrome actually is. The condition refers to a bizarre, unexplained group of medical symptoms that were first reported by U.S. State Department staff in Cuba around late 2016. It was around this time period that U.S. diplomats who were conducting state business in the country began to experience the now telltale symptoms of Havana Syndrome. The symptoms include dizziness, severe headaches, rapid onset of fatigue, anxiety episodes, and extreme cognitive difficulties like short-term memory loss. Pretty weird. Definitely. So Havana syndrome found its roots in Cuba, as we've established during late 2016. In terms of potentially earlier cases, well, we don't have really much else known evidence of that in terms of what's been reported in the mainstream press. The Wall Street Journal did report in 2018, however, um, that a U.S. diplomat in China experienced uh, very similar symptoms to those that were reported in Cuba. Yeah. And this particular case is interesting because the State Department literally describes this Chinese diplomat having suffered from a serious brain injury as a result of whatever was causing this condition. And this particular diplomat had been experiencing months of highly abnormal aural sensations as described by the Wall Street Journal and the State Department. And interestingly, uh, this particular individual started reporting these symptoms as early as late 2017. At the time, the lovely Mr. Mike Pompeo, then Secretary of State, testified before Congress that his case, um, sorry, that this case had extreme resemblance to uh, the cases originally reported in Cuba. 
The U.S. and Chinese governments were totally incapable of determining the source of this particular incident after investigation. And to really top this all off, uh, CIA Director William Burns ventured to India in September, um, and one of his own staff members experienced Havana-like symptoms. Uh, That individual did receive medical attention and treatment as a result. It has also been reported that Vice President Kamala Harris had to temporarily delay her arrival to Vietnam because of a, quote, possible anomalous health incident in Hanoi. Things get even more weird because we have Director Burns in an interview with NPR saying there are probably a couple hundred incidents across the U.S. government and across the globe. Of those couple of hundred, there's probably about 100 in which my colleagues, my officers, and family members have been affected. The Journal of the American Medical Association published articles in 2018 and 2019. Uh, That was the first to argue that the most likely source of these symptoms was a device that emitted a radio signal. In December of 2020, a U.S. government panel of scientists concluded the attacks were most likely the result of a highly directed pulsed energy attack. And this panel was referring specifically to the evidence that has appeared in Cuba and China, Um, just only those cases, those countries. The study was actually published by the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. So it's a pretty serious scientific journal right there making this claim. Uh, The scientists identified, quote, directed pulse radio frequency energy, or RF energy, as the most likely explanation for Havana syndrome. It's pretty staggering. This same panel concluded that theory was far more probable than, quote, inadvertent or environmental exposure, but more research would be needed. And like clockwork at the time, former President Donald Trump blamed Cuba for the incidents, and Cuba immediately denied any wrongdoing. Which shouldn't surprise us one bit. Right. So anyways, the same scientific panel also examined a variety of other potential theories behind Havana syndrome. Um, They looked at exposure to different chemicals, infectious diseases, and other potential psychosocial factors. Even after all of that, uh, they still concluded these symptoms were most likely the result of radio frequency um, energy exposure. It's pretty wild. The New Yorker reported in May of 2021 that U.S. government investigators were working under the notion that these attacks were indeed being perpetrated by a foreign state. The leading candidate for that role was Moscow's military intelligence service. And investigators were wondering if Russian operatives were aiming microwave devices of some kind at U.S. spies and diplomats in an attempt to collect data from electronic equipment like computers and phones. To really top all of this off, there was even an incident in November of 2020 that affected a senior official of the NSC who had been sitting in his office at the Eisenhower Executive Building. This senior official got up to leave and exited. As he was walking through the parking lot nearby to his car, he began to notice a very significant ringing in his ears. His body apparently went numb, and he started to have noticeable difficulty controlling movement of his upper and lower extremities. He even began to slur his speech when he tried to speak with someone nearby. The symptoms were reported to have come on all of a sudden. And that's exactly how one might expect symptoms to arise from some kind of directed energy attack instead of a gradual thing, you know? Right. I think it's been evident in a lot of this reporting that these incidents sort of came out of nowhere and definitely caused symptoms in a rapid fashion. 
So eventually, this same senior official on the National Security Council uh, would find his way to a doctor shortly after the symptoms arose. Numerous medical tests were administered, an MRI was performed, and blood tests were conducted. Nothing unusual turned up. About two hours later, the individual speech began to return. We've been referencing an article from The New Yorker written by Adam Intus. Mr. Intus wrote an article with John Lee Anderson for The New Yorker, published in November of 2018. This particular article focused on the first incidents of Havana syndrome that were reported in Cuba in late 2016, as we previously mentioned. The diplomats and spies affected during this particular series of events reported feeling that they had been, quote, bombarded by waves of pressure in their heads. Some said they heard sounds resembling an immense swarm of cicadas following them from room to room, and when they opened a door to the outside, the sounds abruptly stopped. A few reported feeling as if they were standing in an invisible beam of energy, end quote. And get this, after these events, these folks reported having severe headaches, tendonitis, vision loss, hearing difficulty, memory loss, um, and sudden inability to find their balance and walk correctly or use their hands properly. But some have begun to push back against what they consider an argument founded in pseudoscience. Robert Below of at UCLA and Robert Bartholomew from the University of Auckland published a book in 2020, which argued that the set of symptoms associated with Havana syndrome can be mostly explained as mass psychogenic illness. Part of the reason that we want to talk about this this week is because Congress passed a a bill um, allotting funds, particularly for the health care of people who who have been um, affected by this group of symptoms, which currently has very little scientific basis outside of the the State Department. Um, and, And I wanted to kind of start with that sort of dissonance of all of the things that the state can't do, right? All of the things that, that we can't do for the public, right? But when it, when it's time to, to help a hundred CIA operatives who um, have headaches and upset tummies, uh, we, we can get Congress to act just like that. And that was what sort of brought this back into the news this week. Um, that's why you might have been hearing about it, and and we're here to sort of dive in a little bit to 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 our our in, our interests uh, regarding this particular story. So I just want to start off by saying I think the whole thing is really fucking weird. Number one, okay, like I'm I'm going to argue, and this is what I how how I truly feel about this mystery. Um, I I. I want to just say this, you know, I'm, I'm in no shape or form, a qualified psychologist or psychiatrist. Um, but the mass psychogenic illness sort of like theory to me, I don't know. I, I need, I, maybe I should probably read the book before I just sort of outright attack what they're, what they're arguing there. But like we have, you know, a large U.S. government-sponsored scientific panel that is concluding, at you know, based on the evidence at the time, not long ago, and not much has changed since then. This panel is arguing that this is some kind of radio frequency microwave energy burst that's targeted at these individuals, um, which implies 
you know, that it's either the U.S. government doing something on its own citizens, basically, um, or it's another organization, private entity somewhere else, or a foreign state actor um, that, that's, that's perpetrating this. So, like, we have this buildup over time, and that's, that's been the narrative going forth until, like, just recently. Because now we have, now we have the U.S. government, I think it was the Pentagon, uh, earlier, maybe over the weekend when they released this, basically concluding that Havana Syndrome was most likely caused by crickets. Crickets. <laughs> yeah, I read that. that. That was the official explanation was that, like, crickets were, you know, the, the noises that crickets were making caused <laughs> these insane, batshit insane symptoms to occur, mm-hmm. which is ludicrous to me. I'm sorry. That yeah, is, I remember that phase That is covering story. your own ass. So, like... <laughs> well, I, I think that um, what, what stands out to me about the mass psychogenic illness argument is that it's an argument that actually anticipates that these types of things would be experienced by um, a conspicuously related group of people. Right. And the, a lot of the argument, a lot of the argument that's being made by below and Bartholomew in their 2020 book Havana syndrome is going back through and looking at the characterization of these symptoms, right? Um, that there has not been in any of these cases, these more anecdotal, more interesting cases, there has not been a documented interest of something as extreme as, as, as brain damage, right. Or any evidence of, of long-term effects of, of this, this experience. Right. Um, and the, history of mass psychogenic illness uh goes all like and and i mean that's what we call it now right but um it it goes into antiquity right particularly in the context of war in the battlefield and moments of high trauma right um you know there's a reason that you know for the romans that mars was the god of war uh but phobos ruled the battlefield right and and so this this attitude that in moments of high stress, right, particularly in the context of, of, of war, right, um, that people are very, very susceptible to these types of suggestions. And, and sometimes it can be as simple as like, um, you know, seeing the platoon next to you get, get mustard gassed. And even though you're not being like affected by yeah. it, you start yeah. coughing and throwing up and all this, which is pretty common, right? It, it, the, there's like, you know, this has been, this is well attested um, mm-hmm. in these conditions of high, of high stress. And so that's being presented as an alternative to what is, and this is what Below and Bartholomew spent a lot of the book working on, this sort of um, presentation of these anecdotes, right? which mm-hmm. is distinct from the presentation of um, like a long running symptom or, or anything yeah. related to it. Right. Yeah. And so everyone who has written about the, the theoretical technology that would be required to pull this off. Right. Um, you know, everyone who's tried to solve for X 
on the technology that would make this make sense has said it it's it it's impossible right it's highly speculative and furthermore that it would take that it would be a massive undertaking for a state to harness sure. power which is highly speculative in the mainstream scientific community and and deploy it in embassies in Havana right yeah that that it's it's that part of it right it's the idea mm-hmm. that russia or china has deployed all of the resources that would be necessary to harness this tag um and all they're getting for it are stomach aches and headaches and mm-hmm. things which as below and bartholomew have pointed out for us um don't rise to the level of any long term you know damage right or 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 evidence that an yeah. interaction with that device ever would have occurred. I get what they're saying, you know, you know, in what you were talking about in, you know, in, in events of high stress, people do this as you were just saying, but like my sort of question for that line of thinking in relation to this, this specific topic is like, are people in high stress you know, environments necessarily in some of these cases. I mean, like, for example, the guy who was just, you know, on the National Security Council who just basically got up to leave work one day, just his, his just normal job, just got up to leave work and was just walking through the parking lot. And all of a sudden, boom, symptoms just started out of nowhere, you know? And I think it was reported too that this was like a young, healthy guy, like in his mid 30s um, in the article. So I don't know. But, I think that I'm actually kind of open to the the idea that you know the work done by uh, embassy officials and certainly Intelcom operatives, especially in an in an embassy like one in in, in Havana. Oh, sure. That sure. that this that this is a, a deeply contested space, right? That it yeah. is a stressful okay. you know environment, and and I think that that there's that to say about it but that there's also <laughs> i have a deep suspicion that a significant chunk of the people who have experienced these symptoms um you know are people who who do some do some hard stuff right people mm-hmm. who people who uh are the water carriers for a imperialist system of sanctions that has mm. oppressed the island of Cuba for you know over half a century yeah. right and yeah. that as you walk the streets of Havana as the architects and planners of that project that the subconscious mind probably does identify your place in that but the conscious mind Right, you know the one that went to Harvard and and passed the all of the tests you have to pass to to be a diplomat or or, or work in the State Department, et cetera. Right, um, that that part of the mind, um, you know, can't acknowledge it, but subconsciously, it's very possible for, um, you know, these types of symptoms, you know, to to originate from people who 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 just don't have what it takes to 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 drink it away like a cold war cia operative might have 70 years ago or something like that yeah 
Yeah. I don't know. There's a, there's a part of me that does think there's like absolutely no way that like mid 20th century CIA operatives would ever be like, I, my tummy hurts. <laughs> it's the Russians. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just like it. Like there is, there is just an, and I mean, we can, we can chalk that up to a lot of, things. Oh, it's a stereotype of, that, that exists. None of them, right, and none of them healthy, right? I'm not, I'm not right. advocating right. alcoholism and, and the types of things that drove CIA operatives in the center of the cold war. But oh, I yeah. am just saying that it is like conspicuously, you know, like it's, 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 it's almost, you know, the manifestation of people who have very much like convinced themselves consciously that, mm-hmm. that what they're doing is, is good. Right. Yeah. But which even a kernel of doubt, right. Would, um, would be enough. Right. Sure. Now, with all of this laid out, you cannot have mass psychogenic illness without an original stimulation, right? Then I think that the the problem and where the mass psychogenic illness argument comes up short is in terms of there still has to be somewhere a first symptom, right? A symptom that probably isn't psychogenic, right? But which gets reported to other people in this high stress environment. And that's why you end up with a hundred people, you know, who, who all know each other with this same symptom, right? Not because there isn't, there are zero cases that are interesting, you know, but because the majority of them are, are being spread sort of through, through these psychogenic vectors. Right. Um, and, and so what, what this suggests though, is that the, the, there, there's an origin. There's an origin point of this that is still complicated yeah. and still mysterious, even if you buy the the mass psychogenic illness argument mm-hmm. about Havana syndrome. The argument to me that the technology needed to do this and to pull it off is, as you were saying, you know, or as other people are saying, is far too speculative, crazy. You know, it's too advanced for it to you know, for another nation state or even our own to pull it off. And as we have previously covered on this show, um, like, I don't think that's a legitimate argument to say that th- it, it's impossible for something like this to exist because conventional science does not, does not say that, you know, something like this could exist. And the reason I say that is because uh, you know, over the past three to four years now, we have watched the mainstream press basically confirm the existence of highly exotic physics-defying technology whipping around through American airspace and toying with pilots, um, jamming radar, and doing all kinds of insane stuff. And it's very well documented. You know, this is not just this is no longer just anecdotal reports from military pilots. This is like highly, highly, highly multi-sensory data confirming these anecdotal stories that are absolutely wild. And so, you know, now we have confirmation that technology existing beyond our wildest dreams is not something that is totally, you know, out of the realm of of possibility. That it's possible, that it's possible, especially through the private public nexus of the military right right to to hide these types of things right yes and so and so the tendency i I think the knee-jerk reaction 
you know, to say, oh, but, but, but how, you know, and why, right, uh, is, is a reaction that is built on certain assumptions about the capacity of the state and capital to, to carry out these types of super secret, um, you know, projects related to, to, to high tech. Right. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm amenable to that. I think that, I think that, um, if, if we're going to react and incorporate, you know, that, that story, the UAP Mm -hmm. story into our worldview, that, that that's, that's how we do it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the more I think about this particular story in what we just sort of went over there, like, you know, let's, let's sort of contend for a second that this is the result of some sort of highly exotic technology being used, you know, on American and I think Canadian diplomats. Um, you know, let's, let's sort of speculate upon that. You know, why? Because the, the point being that we, we just made earlier that the fact that these, these, these folks are only experiencing, you know, those symptoms and they're, they're very temporary, you know, even though they're, very severe within the time frame they happen they're they're right. very short lived okay so we'll say that's happening so what is what is like what's the end game there why if if it's deliberate and it's not mass psychogenic illness right. what is the what is what what in the world is the reason for doing it and i i the only thing i can come up with is the one of the original theories that it's the it's just it just happens to be a byproduct of you know, foreign state or whoever trying to gather information, you know, of electronic equipment and whatever technology they're using, the the people around it, you know, are being affected by it. And that's the byproduct of, of these clandestine activities and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and I'm sort of saying that like through the lens of suggesting like th- that particular theory, saying that through the lens mm-hmm. of suggesting that it's a foreign state actor like Russia or China or whatever. Right. The other side to this, which is, to me, a little bit more sinister, is that this is, you know, an aspect of the U.S. military-industrial intelligence complex right. that is experimenting upon people and, and utilizing technology. Because to me, that would explain why if we're going to contend that it's deliberate again, that would explain why, you know, we're just seeing these attacks happen and they're short-lived and that's it, you know, and then we're not seeing what the end game, what the, the product at the end of all of this is, because it's just, it's just a bunch of, you know, fucking scientists and black programs gathering data on how this technology, you know, affects people and stuff like that. But but then you but then you, you that that just opens up you know just a, a whole other line of questions. Why are you testing it on U.S. diplomats and U.S. spies? I I don't know. Maybe because it's possible that okay maybe this is the perfect group of people to test it on because there's you know there if we do this well because they keep their mouths shut they, they'll keep they keep their mouths shut. But look but it works in a way because look at what we're doing right now. There's a million theories that right. people have speculated upon. Right. for why this is going on to these specific people. And so it gives them a little bit of cover mm-hmm. if they wanted to do this because they're, you know, 
they start doing it well, the rest of the world's going to speculate it's Russia or China or it's a mass psychogenic illness. Right. So, so I think that this is an interesting um, perspective to take on it. And, and I think that uh, it actually folds relatively neatly into the mass psychogenic illness argument because the suggestion that some sort of um, test might have been some sort of uh, black site or black box program of the intelligence community might have been carried out on even a willing um, operative, right? Yeah. Could be sort of your, your, your real uh, set of symptoms that, that then are, are, are talked about, right. Communicated through, you know, that they're leaked in some way to diplomats, to, uh, People in, in, you know, operatives in Havana who don't have the clearance to know about that program or whatever, they hear about just this this guy who, you know, had, you know, experienced these symptoms and 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 they, they start to speculate, right? And they start to come up with their own theories and all this sort of stuff. And meanwhile, the people directing this, this program, right, the people who, you know, uh, irradiated you know the head of some cia operative and 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 somehow his symptoms got out right that 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 is the the source of the psychogenic illness right and 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 once you've once you've convinced you know normal diplomats who think they're good people and cia operatives who don't have super high clearance or whatever once you've convinced you know the these people that that there's a a a a a brain melting ray gun out there that's going to get you and your yeah. loved ones. Right. That's, that's plenty. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that to, for, for people to say, Oh, I mean, if you, if you told me that, that, that my coworkers were, you know, dropping ill with, with, you know, potentially mm-hmm. with, with some strange ray gun device or whatever, I might, I might head home early for the day. You know, I might, I might start to feel kind of queasy. The more I sort of contend with it, I think it's entirely possible that, you know, this, this could very well be um, mass psychogenic illness, which is fascinating in and of itself. And still leaves the underlying question, right, of, yeah. of what was the, what was the, the case zero for, right, um, right. for that mass psychogenic illness, yeah. right? But, I mean, when we, if it's not that, because when we talk about, like, mass hallucinatory, that's a word, hallucinatory, hallucinatory. Hallucinatory um, sort of illnesses, like even in psychology and stuff like that, there's not a lot of sort of evidence for that sort of stuff to be mm-hmm. a legitimate thing because it just it goes back to and not to get all and not to get too spooky, but like we're you know there's you know there there are certain topics that exist in in you know within within you know the human species and experiences and and things like that like i guess what what i'm getting at here is when people there are there are several subjects of study that that exist you know where that document the large treasure trove of people experiencing the same thing basically and it forming a narrative and people trying to throw the argument against that saying it's mass you know mass hallucination whatever because mass hallucination would fall under that category Ma- mass mm-hmm. psychogenic illness it's the same thing okay 
Yeah, I, and so I, I see the similarity. Um, I do think it is different. I think the idea of of everyone mm-hmm. hallucinating the same thing visually at the same time, right, is different for because we do know then that, aud- like, auditory and and what they're getting at here, right? And, right, and like right. like you know you can you know you can convince yourself that you have a stomachache or a headache, right? You can like you mm-hmm. can think your way into those right, which is yeah, you know exactly. And so I, that this is this is like this particular thing is 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 slightly different than what I was just sort of arguing, but I'm just saying that is, you know, is it, is it possible that, you know, we're, these are the, those two things are closer than what we, what we think, you know? And I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's an accident that you're having that reaction. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the reason, and this is sort of why we've, we've been sort of treading this path is because, um, because these things have the features and qualities of high strangeness, right? They do. Yeah. That that something here, um, you know, seems amiss, right? Because yeah. because it's none fishy. of the, none of the motives of the actors make any sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and none of the uh, resulting effects necessarily make any sense. And right. and a lot of times when that happens, um, and especially when it happens when we're talking about UAPs, people will usually try to discount the evidence in that topic in a similar yeah. way to the way they're trying to discount um, a lot of this information about, mm-hmm. you know, Havana syndrome. Yeah. Um, I do want to, you know, and to, to maybe. It's weird. You know, the more I think about it, even, even as we talk about this, like on this podcast, it, it makes even less sense for this. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'll go ahead and say it anyways. It makes even less sense for this to be like a state actor from somewhere else doing this. Because I mean, yeah, let's say that it that it is it's Russia or somebody trying to gather data from electronic equipment, as we were saying. And again, this is just a byproduct of it. Like, sure, I guess that's entirely possible, but it's it's happening on such a global scale. And, well, and why would you need to invent that technology for that purpose? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, there's a lot of ways to get stuff off people's computers. Yeah, I mean, right? we just we just learned about how. Um, what, what what was the name of the the Russian hacker group that had basically sat in like Pentagon servers for months, right. gathering data? You know that. Right. <laughs> like, right. That was it, it just happened, the, you know. The, and, yeah, the the idea that that's because I think that 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 yeah. thing about about oh no they were they were te- they are using some experimental something where you um, terrestrially uh, point a device at a certain location. I mean, it's like it's like Bonville and stuff. It's like it's like the way people thought stuff would work before the internet existed. Like. <laughs> If you like if, if before you you could conceptualize computers being connected this is the type of thing that you might like yeah like say but anyway um and so I, so i think that that like has sort of the markers of 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 a good explanation right sure. uh, of being very reasonable but yet it's not solving the central issue of of yeah. of of the why of the how and the why of yeah. of 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 the two things, but I, I wanted to, to maybe put us over the line here by, by then saying that as interesting as this is right. Um, the, our legislature has allocated money to, I don't know, buy these people a bottle of Tums or something, um, you know, 
for <laughs> their medical care or something. And and that's being, that's happening. You know, we've got, uh, you know, indigenous people in the American West who can't access, you know, healthcare. Oh, right. Yeah. And we're, we're, you know, buying $10,000 bottles of Tums and an aspirin for spies, for spies who, you know, have, <laughs> But anyway, so and and I think that like like on that level, um, I, I I have a really hard time um, caring a whole lot about mm-hmm. uh, about 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 these folks, right? Yeah. Um, amid amid all the rest of the debate, um, it's just uh, you know, it, it's we're, we're it's here an example for the story, of, right? You know, right. Well, and it's an example of of sort of who who the world works for. You know, yeah. and who, yeah. you know, how things, how things happen. And, and the fact that like, you know, the, the types of solutions, the types of things that our political systems can do, it, it's that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, right? It's, it's yeah. like, it's a group of a hundred people with a stomach ache getting their healthcare paid for. This is an independently produced podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at COINTELPROPOD and support more of our work on our Patreon page. The link is in the show notes and in our Twitter bio. We'll see you next week on COINTELPRO.